Coming to you from Strings and Things Studio in Ventura, California, this is the Strings Unraveled Book Club. Hi, guys. Hello. Hello. So today we're actually talking about a book, not like a, uh, well, I guess we kind of talked about a book last month, but it was movie slash book. Um, So we're talking about Daisy Jones and the Six by Taylor Jenkins Reid, which was my pick for um, the next book. It is, um, I think it came out last year or maybe 2018. I don't remember exactly, Um, but it's a, it's a new novel. Um, And I'm going to read just the back of the book because I couldn't find a more detailed synopsis that was like not really super long but um, it says Daisy is a girl coming of age in LA in the late 60s sneaking into clubs in the Sunset Strip sleeping with rock stars and dreaming of singing at the Whiskey A Go-Go her voice is getting noticed and she has the kind of heedless beauty that makes people do crazy things also getting noticed is The Six a band led by the brooding Billy Dunn. On the eve of their first tour, his girlfriend Camilla finds out she's pregnant, and with the pressure of impending fatherhood and fame, Billy goes a little wild on the road. Daisy and Billy cross paths when a producer realizes that the key to supercharged success is to put the two together. What happens next will become the stuff of legend. The making of that legend is chronicled in this riveting novel written as if it were the oral history of one of the biggest bands of the 70s. In Daisy Jones and the Six, Taylor Jenkins Reid brilliantly captures an unforgettable place in time in an utterly distinctive voice. So that's just straight from the back cover of the book. That's a good description of it. Yeah. I yeah. Um, chills like I'm right back into reading the book with those highlights being hit. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love this book. It was a good suggestion, Katie. I really enjoyed it too. I just finished it yesterday because I was kind of like putting it off because I just wasn't feel like reading anything but then I sort of got sucked into it and then like two or three days ago I realized I had like four hours of audiobook left and I was like oh I better like buckle down and finish it but it was really easy because I, I highly was really recommend the audiobook I feel the audiobook like was really real good. people that I'm listening to so and you, you like saying that you just got to the end of it yesterday made me think of you know like when you're at the bottom of an ice cream cone and the bottom of the ice cream cone is the best part or the bottom of a burrito and the bottom of the burrito is the uh-huh. best part. like you got into like the best like yeah the part that's still my heart like that that's the best part <laughs> yeah i really really enjoyed it i have the actual like novel because i bought it when i saw it at target one day and I was reading it, but I really found it more helpful to, well, I had, so it's written as like an oral history. It's like a behind the scenes, like of like, like they're interviewing the band. So in the audiobook, all the characters are played by different actors. So you have different voices for everybody. And at first I was a little, I think there's too many people <laughs> in the band because I got a little confused as to a like who was who sometimes. I bookmarked a place on the book that was like, so-and-so was the drummer and so-and-so was the guitarist because I kept mixing people's names up. Um, (laughs) I appreciated that. I think they kind of were sensitive to that in the presentation though because most of the time people say their names. Yes. um, But it was hard to keep track of like the relationship between the two brothers. Like I forgot Mm -hmm. that there were brothers in the bands. 
There were two sets of brothers, which I forgot about. I didn't. I didn't get in. The, I didn't get the sense that there were two sets until later, much yeah. later in the book. Yes, that's it. I knew the two. Obviously, the Dunn brothers. Billy and but Graham. I forgot that the bassist and the um, guitarist were Pete and Eddie. Yeah, the two brothers. Yeah. yeah. Until it oh, Eddie. And Eddie's, you know, Pete's saying he's, okay, cool. This is like this chapter in my life. Bye. Yeah. He's like, well, why does, why does Pete, why does Eddie care? Yeah. Ooh, they, they talked about going to their like parents' anniversary party. And I was like, oh yeah, you're right. They're brothers. That's right. <laughs> when the other cool chill guy died in Vietnam, they brought the brother. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, what is the name of the drummer again? I think uh, Warren is the, br- is the drummer. Yes. I love him. Yeah, Warren was great. I loved most, I loved most of the characters and you could like, Eddie was such a little shit, but like you really like He wasn't you could wrong. tell. No, he wasn't wrong. <laughs> I think he wanted to be a rock star and was in a band that did not sound like what he wanted to sound like and And he wasn't the, bo- he wasn't the lead. Like every yeah. time he was going to get a chance to shine he was reminded he was just support. Yeah. Um, Warren and Camilla are my favorites. Um, Karen is my favorite. I like Karen a lot. I love everyone. I know. This book is <laughs> I really thought it'd fun be weird read. if I said that Karen was my favorite. Because, you know. <laughs> She's Karen with an E. Camilla. Did you know that there's a TV series of yeah, this? Yeah, they're making a... Yeah. It's in well, in 2000, it. yeah, that they're making it. Yeah, that's going to be interesting. A TV adaptation. I looked for it because I want this music so bad. I so wish this was a real album. I wanted to listen to it so badly. I felt so cheated that I couldn't just like have it on in the background while Mm -hmm. I was. And then at the end of the audiobook, they have a lyrics. But but who cares? Like it was really about the vocalists. I don't care. Like, that's the point. The instrumental people felt How really... How many of us remember the words anyway? <laughs> yeah, the lyrics aren't as important. Like, I really wish this was a real band that I could listen to. So I Okay, think- I might have thought that it was a real band to begin with. And I might have <laughs> looked, and I couldn't understand why uh, Amazon Music didn't have it. And I was, like, talking to my husband going, you're, like, that's your era. Have you heard of this band? He's like, what? <laughs> so, don't be me. They don't exist. You won't get to download or stream their music yet. I had to remind myself several times that I could not go looking for this music and just to Honeycomb or, right? That's what that one's called. That was one of the, that was their first hit. Yeah. Um, And that, like the epic album that they're writing, that's, you know, most of the book and then what they Mm -hmm. turn on. Um, Like it's nowhere. It doesn't exist. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I hope that it really does get made. I just feel, you know, more like skeptical of what that's your, well I kinda do and I also don't because I don't want somebody who's not good to make the thought you know what I mean? of. Yeah. Well so um, trying to figure out like who would satisfy this itch in my brain. I so, was listening to um Fleetwood Mac when I, I listened to it. it totally, yeah. I know they're emblematic of the time and like it probably is somewhat based of lots of rock and roll stories from this era yeah um it didn't satisfy the itch i feel like the songwriter that 
Daisy Jones is more equivalent to Jewel. Like I actually yeah, heard, I hear that. I was I so I started listening to Jewel's like discogra- discography this last week. And there's actually yeah. she's like, Oh, I have like five hundred songs in a songbook. I never have to write songs for an album. I always have songs and I just choose from my songbook. Which is oh, what imagine that Daisy Jones songbook could be someday if she like mm-hmm. nurtured it that she could right. was doing, but like um yeah yeah <laughs> so jewel feels like the daisy jones character to me even though she's not at that time yeah I that. I that. and then there's um a band i just heard about because this is not my era um x do you know about it karen it was not my era i was I, li- I lived for 80s music so this is pre it's like x is kind of like moving from like the six it's moving like they got were you know playing in small venues in the 70s and then they got hot in the 80s and then they disappeared and now they're back with an album and i haven't listened to it at all i just heard a review of it on npr this week and i was like that may be them like that might be the the brain yeah. uh-huh. that would be it yeah or maybe they're like if the six never got daisy jones <laughs> Yeah, I think Aurora, their album, was supposed to come out in 79, because that's, well, they broke up in 79, so maybe it came out, like, in 78. Yeah. Um, They're working on a second one or something, or I think they, for the next one. I think the producer was wanting them to start on their second album, but then they broke up before they did that. So I think yeah. they really only had one album, and their pride. And hit Wonder, and then I mean, one album Wonder. Said no. I'm broken and I can't do it without my big fat. Yeah, producer. he did die. Like, um, right into the spoilers, right? <laughs> yeah, you should read the book. <laughs> Can we talk about um, other favorite characters? You know, I have a list of um, questions. I want to go out just, of order of your questions. Well, the back of the book just had discussion questions in it, which I always appreciate because I didn't have oh, to hunt for them. I didn't get um, that far. I mean, I just stopped once I got the lyrics. Actually, this time I was honest with myself and I did not buy this book. I only bought the audio book. <laughs> um, I've got both yeah. the Kindle and the audio. Okay, so it says, the first question is, this book is written in an oral history format. What do you think, why do you think the author chose to structure the book this way? And how did that approach affect your listening experience? Well, I am a mute, like you have, as I'm about to say this, I'm like, well, that doesn't really justify that. But I like, I had no skepticism, like I trusted the source. So I trusted like what was being told to me for face value since it was the retelling. First person. But it was was telling their viewpoint. And it was a balanced view of um, like everyone got to share their point of view Mm -hmm. for the most part. One of my favorite things about the book and the way it's written is that you can, it's, it's really indicative of like how memory changes because they're looking back on it from like yeah. way back when. Yes. And it's so funny when the author's like, Karen's telling this story and then Graham's telling the same story or like whatever. And it's like, I bet him $200 and I won. And he's like, I bet her 50 bucks and I won. Like nobody remembers exactly what happened. Yeah, no, I love but- that. I, I thought it was funny because they would like just right after each other like contradict each other and you could tell like the yeah, truth was what, in there somewhere. 
the yeah. first person would tell the story to their best advantage and everyone would say that never happened. Yeah. <laughs> it didn't happen that way. <laughs> well, something that is so common in like personal relationships is that you never really understand the other person's point of view. Like you can consciously try, but this way we got to see like how everyone was coming at something. Mm -hmm. Like everybody's point of view. The gloss of, you know, um, 2020 vision. Um, is that saying going to go away? 2020. <laughs> yeah, I hope so. <laughs> Hindsight's 2020. Anyway, um, we got to like understand Eddie's rage. We got to understand Bill, um, Billy's complete ignorance of it <laughs> and his wish to do right by himself, his art and everyone by being mm -hmm. the way he was. Like he just really thought he was doing the best thing for everybody. Yeah. Um, He's kind of a control freak though, but a lot of people oh. want to control their art. So one know. of his questions says, why do you think Billy was such had such a strong need to control the group early on when they were just simply the Dunn brothers and later when they became Daisy Jones and the Six. So why do you think he felt like he needed to control everything so much? Because it's his nature. I mean, I yeah. think, it ha I feel like it's a part of his recovery because having been in it, because a lot of times people go into addiction because he was coming out of an addiction and part of controlling your environment is either giving into the addiction, using the addiction to control your environment. But when he didn't have that, I think the other part was, I don't, I'm going to control, I'm controlling myself and everything around myself. But that was happening before he had gone to rehab. But he, all, I mean, an addictive personality is an addictive personality. Yeah, yeah. that's so true. He probably always had that need so yeah, i would agree with you karen that it's a symptom of his addictive personality but when mm -hmm. he was a young man it it didn't manifest in in a substance abuse mm -hmm. and then I and mean, i think that's really keyed in because his substance addiction manifests when fatherhood is staring him down the barrel and he can't control the fact that that's coming and he doesn't know what yeah. it's going to be I think that's really that's a good assessment and daisy says to him specifically like you just traded one addiction like you're addicted to your family now like that's your yeah you traded one for another but i mean like as an addictive personality like okay so that's i mean i know that's me so i should channel it into good things like okay i'm addicted to yarn and fabric turn it into yep. something good <laughs> Be addicted to your family. Personality doesn't change how you use it to control your environment. Mike. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's yeah. Good. That's good. <laughs> um, this question says, Daisy, Camilla, Simone, and Karen are each very different embodiments of female strength and creativity. Who are you most drawn to and why? We could talk about all of them, too. You don't have to just pick yeah. one. They Let's start with Daisy. Daisy. Okay. Daisy is like youth on fire, even as a woman looking back on her age, on, like on her life. Like mm -hmm. she is a force of nature. Yeah. And I love, something I love about her is like, she says, you know, to the world time and time again, even if it's not going to be good for her, she wants it her way. 
And like the strength of character to know what you want is always so admirable to me. Like Mm -hmm. to have that distinctive vision of what you want and to risk everything, whether or not that's going to be good for you. Like so often if she just went with the flow, she could have, you know, had an easy time, easy success, but she's not, she's never willing to like give in. Take the easy route. Yeah. Here's a quote. Here's a quote from Daisy. Go ahead. Oh, I just say when she did, she's unhappy. Like, you know, when she was letting her manager take advantage of her and mm-hmm. um, she just kind of went with that being the, um, like it turned into a relationship. He just mm-hmm. kind of appeared and started being her um, boyfriend too. That was terrible. It wasn't, you know, she, she saved herself by getting rid of him and remembering what she wanted. I like uh, this exchange between Simone and Daisy. Simone's telling her that, uh, Simone says, I was the only one encouraging her to make something of herself with her talent. Everybody else just tried to make something of themselves with what she had. Daisy's response was, I had absolutely no interest in being somebody else's muse. I am not a muse. I am the somebody. End of effing story. And her independence to herself, I thought was very, that was a strength you know, it grew into that as she developed her music. Yeah. She wasn't going to let herself just be the inspiration for somebody else. Like she's, she inspired herself enough to want to make her own music. And when she first got her record deal and they wanted her to sing these songs and she just basically told them like, I'm not going to do it. But she also is reasonable enough to know when she needs to, you know, go with the flow at some point because eventually she decided like if I ever want to make my own music I got to do what these people say and give in a little bit yeah um what about Camilla Camilla she's my favorite of the women yeah um like I bookmark um who wants perfect like she keeps Mm -hmm. reiterating that she knew what she I mean I think that's probably I'd say across all four of those women, they actually have that same character um, aspect that they know what they want and they'll risk all to get exactly what they want. So Camilla says, I have this life that I want. Like I, this is the man I want. This is the lifestyle I want. We have these beautiful children that I always wanted together. So no matter what, it's not going to go away. Like I'm not going to let it go. So mm-hmm. no matter he does. She has a much bigger, bigger picture view of life. And maybe being a little bit older than, than, say, the other women, I feel like she had this bigger picture, and she knew that there's different things that she needed to do to get that bigger picture. You don't think she's contemporary to Karen and Simone? I think that only Daisy's the youngest. Yeah, I think maybe. she's about the same age as everybody else, I thought. She just seemed older in maturity, I think. Yeah, a very like so, but I bookmarked when she says "Who wants perfect?" because I I love that so much. Like that is a truth. Who wants mm-hmm. perfect? And mm-hmm. we all miss out on so much when we want it to be perfect. And people can only be so much. They can only be so much, <laughs> and and if you, you might you might achieve perfection for a very short amount of time, then it's gone. There's perfect and then you, moments. Like, I'm sure she and Billy had these perfect moments. Yeah. Um, yeah, she says, 
I wish Billy didn't love anyone else, but do you know what I decided a long time ago? I decided I don't need perfect love and I don't need a perfect husband and I don't need perfect kids and yeah. a perfect life. I want mine. I want my love, my husband, my kids in my life. That's the, yep. That's exactly what I'm talking That's And that, I mean, right now I'm going to cry because that scene. <laughs> yeah. So my heart. So like when, um, the daughter switches to mm-hmm. breaking the fourth wall and, and speaking as you the, learn she's the author. Oh, wow. Yeah. That was, I hadn't, I didn't know who the, I had forgotten there was an author. I got so caught into the characters. Yeah. I completely forgot there was an author till the end. I'm like, Oh yeah. It made me want to read the story. It made me want to re-listen to it with that in mind, knowing that Julia is the author and, and, and the interviewer this whole time. And also like, um, my cock, cockles, like, you know, like, my hackles rose a little bit, too, when she said, and I didn't realize it until we learn why, but something about her saying, I'm the only other person who can verify this, when mm-hmm. you know, three people in the scene, like, why are you the only other person who can verify this? Yeah. It's like, oh, okay. You know it's coming. <laughs> yeah, it was so good. Oh. Um, I really want to read... Um, this author's other like famous book is 11 Husbands for Eleanor Hugo I think is what it's called um, I want to read more of her I did not know what like what to read next that's supposed to be like her best one everybody loves that book it was really super popular um, and I really really enjoyed this author so I think that that would probably be a great thing to listen to um, husband let's, Eleanor Hugo I think oh. that's what it was the Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo. There you go. That, I'll try that next. It was supposed to be, a, I think it's about like a aging Hollywood starlet kind of hmm. thing. Another Hollywood um, thingy. Yeah. So what about Simone? Simone is pretty great. She's the anchor friend we all need. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or not an anchor, the buoy. <laughs> yeah. She it made me wonder if she was based on Nina Simone, a real African-American singer of that time. Maybe. Similar character, know. similar, um, from what I know about seeing Nina Simone is very similar. She was um, interesting because she was sort of like a side character. She's not mm-hmm. one of the bandmates and you don't hear from her very often, but she's I think Daisy says you need that one person who's never going to steer you wrong. You know, she's yeah. like the, the, the embodiment of like the perfect female friendship that she needed. Yeah. Yes. The um, one that will tell her the hard truth when she needs to hear it and not, and kind of be tough, but love her also. And will save her like multiple yeah. times. And it broke my heart when she was talking about how you feel like you're sort of just like throwing your friend into the ocean and hoping that they can swim. It's like, I've done all that I can and I've tried my hardest, but I have to let you like learn for yourself that you need help. And I don't know. I really liked her point of view on that. Yes. Mm -hmm. Um, But she like tracked the globe to, to, you know, (laughs) she was okay. Yeah. Yeah. From Europe to Thailand, back to Italy to try and find her. And Daisy forgets that she's coming and just leaves. <laughs> You're such a shit, Daisy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, not even a phone call? 
Daisy's such an interesting character because you love her, but also like, man, she's yeah, you're right. She's a little shit. Like she's a terrible she human. Absorbed. But you still like her. Yeah. She's a wild animal that no like that's just coming out of being feral. Like yeah. I still <laughs> as a woman in I what she must be in her sixties reflecting, like mm-hmm. As a woman in her 60s, she still has this feral energy when she talks about her life. I mean, I suppose they were trying to portray like this chill, I got my life together eventually, but she still feels like this vibrating feralness. Um, because which terrible parents you've been yeah. going Oh, we got a new sofa. <laughs> yeah. I thought maybe that was going to come back and you would get like a different point of view that like maybe she just thought of them as shitty parents when she was young because no. she's like a teenager and she runs away. But they they sucked the whole time. Yeah, I mean, Nobody I think they her. embodied a lot of the celebrity parents of that time. I think of Hollywood. I think, yeah. Well, I mean, talking about her parents when we first meet her and hear about what a beautiful child she is and that you see her in so many artists' work because she was so beautiful and all her dad's artist friends wanted to use her as a subject. Like she was her beauty and like, you know, spirit was being taken from her as a child. Like she Mm -hmm. knew any different than people. Well, that's the kind of selfish parents she had is they, she was there to make, she was there to make her parents look good. Every time, you know, someone would come around, their friends would come around, they would, bring her out to say oh look what this beautiful thing we created is you know yeah um last about um what about karen how does she embody female strength and creativity i suppose is the question she is willing to be honest with herself about what she wants even in the face of someone as sweet as graham and his great love for her Mm-hmm. she yeah. that you know a married settled down have children life was not what she wanted and she had the you know she had the strength to resist even such a wonderful person as him so that she could be true to what she wanted which is really unusual for that time yes you know? i don't think she had to try very hard she knew from the beginning what she wanted and i think Maybe she was a little unclear with Graham about what they were doing together because Graham yeah. was like a hundred percent in love with her. And she told him from the beginning, like, I'm, I'm not in this for, you know, a partner. She doesn't want to get married. She doesn't want to have kids. She like was pretty straightforward. I think he um, was so in love. He didn't want to hear that. He just oh, yeah. wanted to feel the feels and, and he figured eventually his love could turn her around. Like a lot of people think. Do you, you I feel like they really had that straight conversation until her pregnancy like yeah. i think she might have no she assumed that he knew but because she finds the letter from his mother and they still haven't had a straight conversation about it Mm-mm. yeah she's like oh okay that's what this is to him but i think but like in the because i as i was reading that when she was like, oh, no, I'm pregnant. What, what is this going to be? I think that's when she finally formulates her truth of what she wants. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Like, as a reader, I suppose you can 
take from her actions and her telling what you took all along that she didn't want she didn't want that classic lifestyle for a woman Mm-mm. um i liked one th- i bookmark one place um she said near the end she says sometimes i wonder if i was graham maybe i would have wanted to have a baby too if i knew someone else was going to raise it someone else would let go of their own dreams someone else would sacrifice and keep everything together when i went and did whatever i wanted and came back on the weekends then maybe i would want a baby too although i don't know yeah. i'm still not sure that i would that's exactly what i bookmark <laughs> because i think that is a really excellent way to express why like why wouldn't some women just not want children like Mm -hmm. why not she Uh, says in the book i think i just related to her because i also do not want children and nor am i ever planning on having any of my own she says something like how every time she says to somebody that she doesn't want kids it was something about how like they always i can't remember what it was it was like they were always like disappointed for her or something like that and it was like, like she told somebody, I think she told Camilla, I think it's when she was talking to Camilla and she said yeah. that she was the first one that didn't seem like, like she understood her that mm-hmm. like, yeah, it's, that's fine. You know, that mm-hmm. also when Camilla, showed, like Simone and Camilla are the friends you definitely want. Like mm-hmm. Camilla just wanted her friend to be safe and happy, even yeah. though she didn't understand what it was she like says, want, yeah she was. says to her like i wish you wanted kids because it would be fun if we like if our kids could hang out together like i wish that was something that you wanted but i understand that it's not you know mm-hmm. she's a, a good friend to her yeah 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 um okay let's see here let me get back to my questions Ba-ba-ba-ba-bum. um why do you think Billy and Daisy clash so strongly? What misunderstandings between them are revealed through the quote author's investigation? I was a little hesitant when I was reading this because you really liked Camila and you really liked how she was there for Billy. And the whole time I'm like, please don't make this like a love triangle thing because I knew it was coming. Yes. And I was really worried about how it was all going to go down because I didn't want Daisy to be like the homewrecker. I didn't want Billy to leave his wife because you knew how much he loved her. Yep. It it would have been so boring for it to turn out like everyone to fall for their weaknesses, you know? Yeah. Um, So, I mean, Camilla makes it crystalline, I think, in when she's having that private conversation with Daisy. Um, is not when she's like you it's somewhere around there if it's not in that conversation where she's like they're they're too much the same like people think these wanting souls want this you you want two of the same together these like lusting wanting souls who are always looking for fulfillment when you put the two of them together you just magnify that pain yeah as opposed to balancing or or fulfilling it with some someone different uh, yeah and i think they were just both way too much alike yeah i didn't realize yeah. it yeah and i mean like i mean you could appreciate that billy's been in the business a while he has had successes without her mm-hmm. bringing her in though it made 
his songs better. Like it did take the band in a different direction than they set out for. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, there's when you have your your darling, like your precious darling, something that comes in and threatens it, even if changes it's a change for good, no one likes that. <laughs> but I feel like I feel like Daisy brought an element. I mean, she she was- even said, Look, all your bands are about your wife. Is this a band about your wife? I mean, all all your songs are love songs about this and that there's more to talk about than just your wife and I feel like she helped she was the she was the bridge for the band to be able to be more every in not just backup for Billy you know and she stood up for herself too because she was brought in as a like a like a feature for one song and then they decided we need her in the band and it would have been easy for her to be like you know, these people were working without me for a while and I'm just here to help. But she really took control and was like, you guys need me and didn't, you know, step down when Billy wanted to be the one in charge, when she wanted to sing her, the lyrics differently because she knew it was a better song that way and Billy wouldn't let her. Or when she wrote that song and had the whole band vote on whether or not they should perform it, like it would have been maybe expected for her to come in. That's probably what Billy wanted, you know, to just be there to, add vocal harmonies and whatever but she's like no I'm this is if I'm part of this band then I'm going to be a part of this band yeah yeah I I found it interesting that most of the band that really welcomed her but Eddie (laughs) Eddie who Eddie who was struggling to find his own place with Billy felt like she even pushed him farther back instead of realizing that it's because of her that he had any kind of a voice with Billy you know i didn't feel that eddie resented daisy because remember he was like really excited to be on stage with just her yeah and yeah when, he um, was. but i feel like ruined things with him he he had a tough time finding his place his footing i think and with i for he, I, of course he just struggled with that personally anyway you know um I really wonder if, like, you know, you think about the universe outside the book, like, I wonder if, um, if Billy and Daisy call each other. Mm-hmm. Like, Camilla's request of her daughter to give, um, give Billy her phone number was, um, like, what a generous wife. <laughs> yeah. Camilla's kind of a saint, I think. <laughs> yeah, she was pretty, uh, uh, I wouldn't say she was a relatable character. <laughs> no. She was far more tolerant than I would have been. I would I would not have been that tolerant. But I don't have the say. I didn't have the goals that she had. She had a vision that was, yeah, I don't know. Um... This question says, what role does the does the reliability of memory play in the novel, which we talked about a little bit, but uh, were there instances in which you believed one person's account of an event more than another's? What does the quote author mean when she states in the beginning, the truth is often, the truth often lies unclaimed in the middle? Well, that's why I believed everyone at face value. Mm-hmm. And there's yep. a lot of 
has put in us as the, the reader to find what the objective like truth of what was happening in each interaction like getting to see each person's point of view when like uh, especially like back to the scene where um eddie and um daisy are on the stage just the two of them her band has been um absconded with by her terrible manager that she broke up with and she has no one on stage with her except Eddie. And um, then um, Billy comes on, shoes Eddie off. They do their duet. And then the six come on and do their set. So what did that look like? This amazing, like this, this tense, terrible interaction between the two musicians and then they play this amazing show, like it's supposedly like their best show ever. And then Eddie smashes his guitar. <laughs> like, what yeah. did it look like as the concert goer? Would, would yeah, because Eddie talks about, uh, well, Billy's like, yeah, we did this, we did that. And Eddie's like, he took my guitar out of my hands. He made me leave the stage. I was standing there like an idiot. And then when he calls us back on for me to come back, my guitar is just sitting off to the side. He didn't hand it back to me or anything. And you're like, yeah, that would piss me off if I was him. Yeah. And then and you yeah. know that Billy didn't think too, Billy like, was two seconds about oblivious. it. Yeah. Warren is my favorite in that. <laughs> I almost joined in, but oh, you don't kick a Les Paul. Or no. What, yeah. The drum. His drum. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> like, <laughs> like that looked like fun. I wanted to do that too, but no, I didn't do it. <laughs> like if Warren is other than Camilla, which is just all the feels. I love that Warren comes in to be that voice of like, whatever, man, it's rock and roll. Like he's such <laughs> a quintessential drummer. Like I'm like, he's like, this is my job. I see this as a paid gig. Yeah, <laughs> and wow, that's fun. Let's knock the stage down. <laughs> yeah, I like to. Um, the other thing that like struck me, this is not on point of the question, um, but the fact that this is like such a tiny flash in these people's lives, like yeah. it's, what, three, four, maybe five years for the six. Yeah, um, and it's like, yeah, it's not that long. And then like, Pete, who's like, okay, so now I'm going to go, I don't know, what does he do? Go do, like, uh, appliance sales? Yeah. yeah, something like that. Um, this was fun. Now I'm back to my regular life. <laughs> and, um, like, one of my favorite bands growing up was the Goo Goo Dolls, and still is. They're just not quite, they'll never be what they were. Um, and uh, Johnny Resnick once was on a, probably a behind the music interview. And he says, well, I mean, what's next for the Goo Goo Dolls? I don't know. Who wants to be a Goo Goo Doll when they're 40? <laughs> probably like in his late 50s. I should look that up. And he's still a Goo Goo Doll. Like that's, that's the thing that he's doing forever. <laughs> so that contrast of like musicians who are forever performing and the guys who are like, that was, this is just a part of my, part of my, you know, part of my thing. And now I'm going to go have like a normal sit down life. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Warren, Warren uh, marries uh, the girl from SNL and sells his houseboat and uh, <laughs> like buys a real house with her. And then yeah. 
um, what's his name? Pete. He owns his own artificial turf installation company now, and he lives in Arizona. You're like, good for Pete. <laughs> and he's like, looking back, you're, you know, I have nothing but good things to say about my time in the band. And you're like, okay, Pete. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I love that. And so the, the, the um, finding the truth in people's first point of view mm-hmm. Retellings are. Um, it was very dynamic way to view a scene. I yeah, you felt like you could like imagine it like a movie. You know, like you could see everybody's points of view. It was yeah, I really liked it. It was like when you read a novel and you're only getting like first person perspective, but this was such an interesting way to tell a story of a big mm-hmm. group of people and feel like you understood exactly where everybody was coming from. Yeah. yeah. I really like that. It was a very dynamic way to tell this story. Yep. Um, okay, let me see. If I got one more we can wrap up on here. Bum. Oh, so it says, were you surprised to discover who the author was and how did you react to learning the author's reason for writing the book? Oh. Which I think was that the <laughs> mom died and you're like, oh my god. <laughs> Um, I I could cry like in a minute. Any you bring it up and I will cry. Like I was, got very emotional. Yeah, so beautiful. Cause yeah, it, I really didn't expect myself to cry when I was reading it, and then by the end I was like sitting here like, oh my god, I think I'm gonna cry. <laughs> um, when he's talking to her at the end, and it switches from him talking to like an author to talking about like talking to his daughter. Yeah, and he's, like, yeah. calling her, like, sweetheart and honey, and you're like, oh, Billy, this is so cute. Oh, uh, yeah. Because, I mean, yeah. Mila and Julia are are the glue, you know? Yeah. And um, we all have those people in our lives that were, like, the glue. Yeah. To be the people left behind. And it's that was just such a artfully done, so artfully done. Yeah, I loved when he said, uh, <laughs> I will say I'm thankful for you for asking these questions and giving me something to do. And you're like, that's such a dad and like thing to say. <laughs> like uh, lots of, I, you know, I wonder how many famous kids of famous people are like, well, that's just my dad. That's just my mom. Yeah. You know? Especially people whose like glory days have passed. And then you can make it even more like personal, like, we never really have a sense of our parents when they were 20, you know, or in their 20s and coming of age themselves still, even if we were alive when they were, they're doing that, you know. So it's, it's hard to imagine your parents as anything other than your parents. Yeah. So to have this like raw storytelling, a rock and roll lifestyle and realize that this daughter is getting a real view of her her parents experience mm-hmm. authentic and authentic view yeah well i'm glad i picked this book i thoroughly enjoyed it i just sort of picked it because i was like that sounds like something i might like and when i did i didn't realize the way it was written like the oral history format mm-hmm. and when i started i was like oh i didn't expect this because i don't think i was in like the right mindset because i was looking for like you know more like a novel mm-hmm. but i the more i think about it the more i thoroughly enjoyed it and want to re-listen to it 
I um I was sick from the minute because I don't I didn't know what to expect at all, and I just happened to turn it on with my eldest in the car, and um, I don't remember where we were driving from, but we ended up being in the car for about a half an hour together, and I cruelly you know kicked him out and <laughs> finished listening to myself later, but um, we were both hooked from the first like the outset, like who's yeah. Daisy Jones? Yeah, the first chapter two, I wasn't hooked yet. Because the style of it, trying to get my footing as who was who, was kind mm -hmm. of off-putting. But I stuck with it because it's what we chose. <laughs> and then I was hooked. <laughs> but, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I, I liked it from the start. And then it only got better. Yeah. There was a, some part in the middle that was a little tedious, but I can't remember what it was. Maybe yeah, like, You know what? I, I guess I wasn't that interested in hearing about the six. Yeah. <laughs> until until Karen's voice perked up. Yeah. And then and the, also Yeah. Uh, I uh Judy Greer is the voice of Karen and I love her, but yeah. I just started following her on Instagram and her Instagram um like handle at the top description, the first thing she says about herself is she's a knitter and sometimes an author. Really? Or sometimes an actress. And I was like, Ooh, Okay, I'm for her. What? Um, I did not know that yeah. about her. I I'm didn't either. Her. And my really my like favorite her. designer, uh, Jessie May, uh -huh. posted in her story that she was, uh, that Judy Greer had cast on one of her patterns. And I was like, <gasps> what? This is while I was listening to this book. And I looked, yeah. So Judy Greer, it says, yeah, knitter, psychic, vegan, collector of jars, brass animals, and alcoholic friends, part-time <laughs> actor, producer, and director with zero Emmy or she? Oscar noms. Is she Miss Judy Greer? or Yeah. yeah. It's okay. Blue star. Yeah. So apparently she's a knitter. Oh wow. Oh, I like her. Um. Well, I anyway. could take my book suggestions. Director with zero Emmy or Oscar noms. Got lots of good book suggestions. <laughs> yeah. Um. Well, I think it's uh, Anne's turn to pick our next book. So. Um. Okay. So I am unveiling my jar. I will describe it for the listeners. <laughs> <laughs> That's a fun jar. Um, like cookie jar kind of thing with a little latch and it says um today will be magical and the unicorns wearing glasses that are similar to mine and it has a nose. <laughs> it that's has hilarious a distinct i mean it doesn't stick out that far but it does have a, a little bit and that protects her i mean most of a horse's face is a nose so <laughs> the majority and giving it a shake um we gotta get I'm excited about everything I put in there, so let's see. Good. All right. Okay. This is A Mercy by um, Toni Morrison. Ooh, I have not read anything from her, and I've wanted to. Like ever? Ever. And I've wanted to. I just... The bluest eye. Can't know where to start with. Um, well, I in school, we started with Sula, and then I read The Bluest Eye on My Own, which is often a banned book. Um... Mm -hmm. And I've never read anything from her. Oh, sweeties. So it's called A Mercy. Okay, this um, was, the audiobook was released in 08. I, you know, she passed away this last year. I have intent, been intending to immerse myself in her books because they are, she's one of those authors who, like, I love listening to interviews with her talking about 
what it was like for her to emerge as an author, like just the word, it was the, the word just pour out of her and um, her storytelling is so compelling. So I don't know a lot about this book, but I was put it in my um, choices because I had intended to read more Toni Morrison and reread what I have read. And when we were boarding the plane in Portland, in um, LAX to go to Portland this um, last December, it was sitting on a trash can, like I think as a, hey, you know, pass it forward book. So I mm -hmm. grabbed it. Um, Could you imagine picking up a broke book off <laughs> of a trash can in an airport in 2020? <laughs> well, wow. I haven't. You, know you might have brought home. I acquired it. Um, it is a six hour and 26 minute audiobook, so it'll just be a, okay. a nice little snack. Um, in 196, I'm sorry, in 1680s, the slave trade was still in its infancy in the Americas. Virulent religious and class divisions, prejudice and oppression were rife, providing the fertile soil in which slavery and race hatred were planted and took root. Jacob is an Anglo-Dutch trader and adventurer with a small holding in the harsh north. Despite his distaste for dealing in flesh, he takes a small slave girl in part of in part payment for a bad debt from a plantation owner in Catholic Maryland. This is Florence with the hands of a slave and the feet of a Portuguese lady. Florence looks for love first from Lena, an older servant woman at her new master's house, for, but later from a handsome blacksmith, an African never enslaved. Um, there are other voices, Lena whose tribe was just decimated by smallpox, their mistress, Rebecca, herself a victim of religious intolerance back in England, Sorrow, a strange girl who spent her early years at sea, and finally the devastating voice of Florence's mother. Oh no. This, these are all men and women inventing themselves in the wilderness. So that's- That sounds fascinating. Yeah. And it's a short one. Yeah, cool, I'm into that. Not too epic usually. I mean, they, they tell big stories. It's not the grapes of wrath. No. <laughs> oh, just as if not more emotionally wrought. Um, oh, I'm sure. So uh, that cool. is my choice. A Mercy by Toni Morrison. Cool. I know that you can get it as a paperback. <laughs> I'm going on Amazon right now to order one. <laughs> so, and then it's on Audible, six hours and twenty six minutes. I just got the just as we're talking. I just downloaded the Kindle and the Audible. Nice. Well, all right. We hope you guys enjoyed this uh, episode. If you didn't, like, if you, I don't know why, if you got this far and you haven't read the book, I would highly recommend reading uh, yeah. Daisy Jones, but oh, yeah. um, hopefully, hopefully we didn't spoil too much for you, but um, highly recommended. Well, we talk and about the characters, but we don't talk about what they do, so. Oh, I feel like there's spoilers. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> all right, guys. Well, um, we will see you in a month for our next book. All righty. Bye, y'all. Thanks, bye. bye.